It's already been such a joy to hear everyone singing their praises to Almighty God, to be reminded this morning of evaluating our own life of who is the king of our life. And so this morning, we're going to continue with our study in the books of First and Second Samuel. We are already at First Samuel 8, par- partially because we did four chapters last week. Uh, Today, we're just going to do one chapter. If you've been following along with the reading schedule, you know to be prepared for today was to read 1 Samuel chapter 8. So hopefully today will be a little bit shorter of a message so that we have more time to hear from the missionaries at the end of the service. But if you can turn in your scriptures to 1 Samuel chapter 8, that would be where we are today. To give you a quick summary, we are going to read the whole chapter, but I want to just give you an overview that up to this point, Israel did not have a king. Uh, What ended up happening is God appointed judges to rule when something would come up. This judge would be there, be responsible, but the judge didn't set up a government The judge was not in a position of power like a political leader would be. And now all of a sudden, Israel is kind of saying, we don't like this, so we want to do something on our own. That's the tone that we're going to see today as we go through 1 Samuel chapter 8. You'll notice if you are open there that that chapter is split up into three kind of predetermined sections that have a title above them. Uh, We're going to basically operate within those three sections, but we're going to take all of chapter 8 and find out today that God is the king with a capital K. So let's go ahead and read all of chapter 8. I know it's a lot of reading. If you're able to stand while we read God's word, that's great. If not, I know your heart is reverent before God's word being read, and so you may stay seated in respect in your heart to God's word. 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes, and they perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like, the, like all the nations. But the king, this thing, sorry, but this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. 
And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and will put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. And we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel, when Samuel had heard all the words of the Lord, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. You may be seated. The very first thing that I want to recognize today from this passage is the truth about Israel. Unfortunately, it's a historical truth about Israel, but we see it in this story especially, that Israel rejected God as king. If you're following along, you'll notice underlined words on the screen. Those can fill in blanks if you got the sheet uh, at the door, or you can go on the Church Center app and find under the sermon notes these uh, outlined or this outline with those words to be filled in. But the first thing that we see is that Israel rejected God as king. We need to understand, though, that their desire for a king wasn't necessarily wrong. If you were to go back 400 years from what we just read, 400 years prior to this, we see in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 17, go ahead and write that down so you can read it later, Deuteronomy 17, it actually tells us an outline for a king that is going to rule over Israel. But in that Deuteronomy chapter 17, there's a key in verse 15 where it tells us that God, the Lord God, will choose the king for Israel. So their desire wasn't necessarily wrong. It was historical that they had their eyes set on some sort of a king. They had a desire to be ruled by a king. So their desire wasn't wrong, but the problem came in when their desire became more important than God's plan. It was God's plan to be his choosing in his timing, for his king. But their desire for a king became more important than God's plan. And so what we see is that their desire wasn't wrong, but their desire became a demand, and that demand showed their motive. Their motive was a few things. They were impatient. They didn't wait on the Lord's timing. They had come to this point where they thought, we've had enough, we're going to take matters in our own hands, and they were impatient. They were selfish. They thought they knew what was best above God. They thought they knew, so they were, sh they were selfish. They were also foolish. They disregarded all of the warnings. We read that whole passage, and you remember in verses 10 through 18, Samuel gave repeated warning after warning. This is what it's going to be like with a king that you appoint. 
Here's all of the things that are going to happen. And there was a key word in verses 10 through 18. It was the word take. This king is going to take from you constantly. He's going to take this. He's going to take that. He's going to take that. Ultimately, that passage all the way into verse 18 says that you will end up being like slaves again. Because they were rejecting God's rule as king They were selfish, they were foolish in their pursuit of this plan, and ultimately they lacked faith. God said he would choose the king, but Israel said, we're going to force your hand to do it now based on our desires. They lacked faith that God had the best plan available. As we go through this story, my goal for you is not that I have to spoon feed any personal application, that as we go through the the, uh, character traits of Israel rejecting God in their selfishness and foolishness and lacking faith, that you would be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit saying, what areas am I selfish? What areas am I foolish? What areas am I lacking faith in God as king over all things? So as we go through that, I pray that your hearts would be open to that. But we see that their demand showed their motive. And this may seem harsh that we're really nagging on Israel, but I want you to look at verse 7 of chapter 8. God tells us exactly the intent and motive of the heart of Israel. He says, they have rejected me from being king over them. Flat out, It's very black and white truth. Israel rejected God by pursuing this plan. They rejected him as king. God says it that way. We're going to take it that way. We believe that that is exactly true because God said it. So their motive was actually for self. And it shows that their faith was weak. But it also shows us that their faith was by sight. In verse 5, it says, Appoint for us a king to judge us. Like all the other nations, we see them with a certain structure. We see them accomplishing things that we are clinging to, and we're not like them, but we want to be like them. We want to see ourselves just like we see them. Their faith was by sight. They needed to see a person lead in a a role of king, even if it wasn't how God intended. So all of a sudden you see this desire that they had was stronger than their desire for what God had planned. Their faith was by sight. They wanted to see a leader instead of see God in that position. And it was crazy to me because they can see God's work right in front of them. They see his hand guiding them, leading them, promising them, directing them, and yet they still go, yeah, but we want to see a person. We don't want to just see God's hand at work. They were selfish. Their faith was by sight. And we also notice another thing. Their identity, who they were, what defines us as a nation, their identity, they were drawing it from others. They wanted to look like other nations. But we know the reality of Israel's identity was supposed to be set apart. God's chosen people. So by the very definition that they received from God of who they were, they were supposed to look different. And here they are crying out to God saying, we want to be just like all the other nations. They were fighting with God's plan and his intention for the nation of Israel. They already had a chosen identity. It was supposed to be rooted in God and what he said. But as we saw in verse 7, they rejected God as king. They were drawing their identity from others. We see that they actually, 
fit the example of of what Romans chapter 12 is talking about. Romans 12 says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. They were conforming to the other nations around them because they wanted to look like them and we want them to tell us what our identity is instead of being transformed by an almighty God who is king over all things, he gave them an identity to be set apart, to be a chosen people, to look different than all the other nations and yet they said, we reject your kingship. We want what we want. And ultimately their rejection was illogical. It was ironic because they were requesting what God was already doing. They just wanted a man to do it in a king position. You see, in verse 20, if you jump to the end, they have a very similar request as they did in the beginning of chapter 8. Look at verse 20. What do they want the king to do? It says they want a king to be over us, to judge us, to go out before us, to fight our battles. And if you know anything about the nation of Israel and the journey they've been through up to this point in history, what has God done for them? He's been their king. He's judged them. He's gone out before them. He has fought their battles. And yet it's not good enough for them. It was an illogical request because God was already leading them as king, they all of a sudden wanted it within these parameters and they were gonna do anything possible to do to get there. And this rejection of God, Samuel took it personally. If you look at verse six, we see that Samuel took this rejection of God personally like he was being rejected. But we know about Samuel that he served God for his life. But what he did, because he served God with his life, the moment that he felt that rejection and he took it personally, what did he do with it? He went faithfully to God with his feelings. For us, that's what we need to do. Feelings have a very quick way of leading us down a path away from God. Samuel, because he chose to serve God faithfully with his life, he took those feelings to God immediately. Look at verse 6 tells us how Samuel felt. He was displeased. He was upset. He was sad. He thought this rejection was of him. And his reaction wasn't wrong because he first, his first response to that reaction was to take it to Almighty God, to have it checked out. He didn't allow his reaction to turn into sin because he trusted God faithfully with his feelings. So he told the Lord about his feelings Look at verse 6, the end of verse 6. It says, Samuel prayed to the Lord. This was the model of Samuel's life. If you remember from our reading, if you look at verse 3, when it talks about Samuel's sons, it shows us the kind of life that Samuel lived because it tells us that not only did he make his sons judges over Israel, but then it says that his sons, verse 3, did not walk in his ways, but they turned aside, they perverted justice, they took bribes. So if you look at the contrast, we have Samuel's sons doing this. Scripture says they did not follow in Samuel's ways. So Samuel's ways were righteous and holy. He upheld justice. He followed God with his life. He went to the Lord with his feelings, but then we also know that he faithfully went to the Lord with everything about his life. Jump down to verse 21. After God had given him the warnings to give to Israel, 
after he faithfully brought every single word from the Lord to the ears of people in Israel, we see this description in verse 21. When Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. He went back to the Lord. He had just warned Israel. Israel rejected yet again basically said, we don't care what kind of a life we're going to have under this appointed king. Even if all of those things that you say come true, we want our way. We're going to get our way. And Samuel listened to the words of the Lord. He wasn't hurt. His feelings weren't shattered. He just faithfully took everything to the Lord and said, here's what happened. They still rejected all of these warnings. This is exactly what maturity looks like. The reason I'm dwelling here on the life of Samuel is because he was faithful to the Lord. And we see his maturity. He trusted God. He loved the Lord no matter what it would look like, no matter what his identity would be to the outside world. He loved the Lord and he trusted him. He talked to God about everything. He went to him with every concern of his heart. He trusted him no matter what while Israel was ignoring the warnings and the word of God, Samuel was taking it all to heart. That's what faith, that's what maturity looks like. So Samuel, as a definition, faithfully served God as king. And we see that in this story. But then one area that I want you to really dwell on today is that God is the king above all. If you took home nothing else today, if you were able to leave here today repeating in your mind constantly that God is king above all, all of your feelings, all of the circumstances, all of the plans that you think you've put together, God is king above all of those things, then that's what I want you to get today. But of course, I'm not content being done talking, so we're going to keep talking, okay? But God is king above all, and we see that in the majority of this passage. I want to read to you again verses 7 through 9. The Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have rejected you. They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, God, from being king over them. According to the deeds that they have done from the day I, God, brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, they've forsaken me and they've served other gods and now they're doing the same to you. So obey their voice, but you're going to solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And then we have all of those warnings. So from this passage, I see some attributes about God being above all that I want us to focus on. The very first one is that God displays his comfort in this time. 2 Corinthians 1.3 even tells us a description of God, that God is the king of all comfort. He's the God of all comfort. And God is comforting them during this time, comforting Samuel. And because God is over all things, he is above all. We saw that last week where God made this false idol, this false god, bow down before him because God is over all and everything is subject to him, he reminds Samuel in this moment that he's the one above all because he comforts him. He reminds Samuel that, you know what, if you are serving me faithfully and people see your actions, they're actually seeing my actions, they're actually hearing my words, and so they're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting the one who is over you, 
who you are a follower of. And so in essence, they are rejecting God himself, which is a scary place to be. But that's exactly what's happening. But God is comforting Samuel. Jesus even gives us this idea that if you are following him faithfully and they reject you, they're actually rejecting the one who is above all. In Luke 10, 16, it says, the one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So you can see the hierarchy. If we are faithfully following and delivering the truth of God and people reject you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God himself. And that's essentially what God says. But this idea that God is above all and that Samuel just has to be faithful to him and the rejection actually bypasses him and is actually a rejection of God, that's a comfort to Samuel. He knows, okay, my identity is in Christ. My identity is in God himself. So I don't have to worry what the world says about me because they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting God. That's a comfort to Samuel because God is in the highest position. And this is a great reminder that if we hear the truth, if we know that it is godly advice and godly wisdom, but yet we still reject it, we're not rejecting man, we're not rejecting words, we're rejecting God. So if you leave here today being presented with truth and you reject that truth, my feelings aren't hurt because you're rejecting me, you're actually rejecting God's word, just like God very pointedly in verse seven says, Israel is rejecting me. I hope the same is not being said about any of us. But what we see is that that truth of God being above all is comforting. We also see God and his patience on display here. If you know the history of not just mankind in general, but of Israel, the amount of times that they spit in God's face and turn their back and reject. And the amount of times that God says, I love you, I care for you, I'm going to guide you, I'm going to teach you, his patience is beyond measure. And right here we see that his patience is on display. I referenced Deuteronomy chapter 17 where there's kind of an outline about a future king that would come. That Deuteronomy passage is 400 years prior. But God is really giving Israel all the warning that they need to remember, wait, this has already been stated that there's going to be a king that God chooses and he's going to be a godly man. It actually tells us in Deuteronomy 17, 19 that one of the characteristics about the God-appointed coming king is that they will fear the Lord by keeping all of the words of the law. I want you to put yourself in this situation where historically there is a prophecy, a prediction from God that says there's going to be a king and he is going to love me and serve me faithfully and he is going to listen to my commands all of his days. And now you fast forward to Samuel saying, there's a king that you're appointing that is going to take from you. He's going to damage you. He's going to control you. He's going to manipulate you. And ultimately you're going to be a slave to that king. Do those two things complement each other? No. God is so patient. He's giving them all the warning to say, wait a minute, this doesn't sound like a God-appointed king. Maybe we should reject this idea that we have, but they still don't. But God is patient. 
Scripture tells us over and over again, I put five references to this use of this phrase, but there are many more throughout Scripture. Scripture says that God is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. His patience is on display in this story. But that's not all. His grace is on display too. So God, as the king above all things, his grace is on display. They rejected God as king, but yet he comes back again and he warns them. He has no need to warn them. He can do whatever he pleases because he is a perfect, righteous, holy God who acts justly, but yet he still warns them because he is gracious and loving to his children. But notice in verse 18, who's responsible for this bad decision? Verse 18 says, in that day, you will cry out because of your king. You have chosen. The Lord is not going to answer you in that day. While he is firm, he is patient and gracious by saying, guys, I'm going to even tell you that I'm not going to answer you because of the choice you are making. This is bad news. Don't proceed. But they still do. And time has run out for them because of their continued rejection. And now, God is actually going to allow their demand to happen. In verse 22, he tells Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. He didn't abruptly do this. He gave them years upon years, 400 years of preparing. What does this king look like? And when it came time to make the decision, he said, this is not what you're supposed to do. And they proceeded anyway. And so God said, okay, I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to give you what you think you need to show you what I know that you need. And sometimes that's how God works. You may have been praying something for a long time, but maybe it was the wrong thing. And God finally says, the only way that I'm going to teach you is to give it to you. And then you're going to see that that wasn't the thing to be asking for. That's basically what he's doing by allowing them, even though they had the incorrect motive, even though he was being rejected, he said, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to allow this to happen to teach you what you really need. They were looking to all the other nations and they wanted a king to lead them who would look the part. And so what we're going to find out next week is that they get King Saul, who was manly man. He had the look of a king, just like they wanted because their faith was by sight. So God gave them someone who looked like a king. He had a kingly sense to him. That's what they thought they wanted. We're going to find out as we continue our study that what they really needed was a king like David, small in stature, who had no appearance of a king, but had the heart of God to lead them. Because God knows best. They thought that they could tell God what they wanted, but it wasn't what they needed. And God proceeded by allowing it to happen to teach them a lesson. You see, Israel was viewing the guidance of God and the plan that he had for them as an inconvenience. They were captivated by the appeal of other nations and how they looked and how they were structured. And they were ready to be their own people. They essentially said, I don't want to be God's people anymore or God's nation. We want to pick and choose what we get about God. And we want this part of the plan. They wanted to be independent but they were really dependent on an earthly king and it was the wrong move. 
And so God says, go ahead. But by seeking to be free from me, a perfect king, who is above all, who is wise and generous and loving, you're going to have to deal with the consequences. You made your choice. I'm going to allow it to happen. So here we go. And that sets the stage for everything that's to come with the nation of Israel. They're learning the hard way. They're stubborn. They're selfish. And I know in my own life that I could take those same descriptions and I could apply them to myself. Because there's categories where I'm stubborn and I'm selfish and I know exactly what God has instructed but yet my faith is by sight or my faith is not as strong as it should be and so I choose my own way and my own plan and I'm the nation of Israel. And I want you to take that truth, those questions and observations and apply them to your own life because there isn't one in here who does everything perfectly. There isn't one in here who says, I will follow everything and every desire I have is perfect before the Lord. We all have room to grow and we all, in one way or another, are Israel. And Israel had rejected God. They'd rejected him as king. So whether or not you believe, like Denise said, whether or not you believe that having an earthly king was right or wrong of them, what we know to be completely wrong of Israel was that they rejected God as king, verse 7. And so what I want you to see is that as the chapter draws to an end, God says, okay, let's proceed, Israel, and I'm going to have to teach you some lessons. But I want to observe three things as we close today about a recap about God. And you can take these three truths and you can determine in your own life whether or not you hold to them true or strongly and where you need growth. But the very first thing that we see from this passage is that God, the king, has a plan. Samuel trusted the plan of God, that God was gonna be the one to choose a king and provide a king. So when the people started demanding something different, it didn't sit right with Samuel. At first it was rejection, and then he knew, wait, this is not right. God is faithful. He's gonna provide what we need. And it didn't sit right with him. Samuel trusted that God as the king had a plan. We see in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Israel didn't do that. They didn't acknowledge God in all of their ways. They didn't trust him with all of their heart. They leaned on their own understanding of what a king and a country should look like, and ultimately they rejected God's plan. He's still guiding their paths, but... He's going to guide them to places where they have to learn some very difficult lessons. And for you, maybe you're sitting here this morning and life is full of uncertainty and confusion. And maybe you've been praying for something for a long time and it still hasn't happened. So what do you need to do? We need to faithfully trust God because he has a plan. We need to glorify him no matter what. We cannot be like Israel and take matters into our own hands based on our own understanding. We need to trust him and he will make straight our paths. And so a follower of Christ who believes that God is king and has a plan, a follower of Christ seeks the king's plan. 
The second thing that I see from this passage about who God is, is that God the king is wise. Samuel felt attacked, felt rejected, but his response was to take that thought and those feelings to God, where he was reminded that the rejection is not of Samuel, it's of God himself. And so for us, as we seek God's plan, we need to take everything to him because he cares for us. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares or anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's the God that we serve. He is king above all, but he intimately loves you and cares for you. Just like he warned Israel, he is warning you about things. He is comforting you in things because he is wise. Our feelings and our emotions are very, very strong. Our desires for things to serve self run very strong in us. And those things amplify the sins of selfishness and pride, just like we saw in the nation of Israel when they demanded a king. But like Samuel, our response should be to take those things to the Lord in prayer. And he's going to remind you of who he is. He's going to remind you that he can be trusted. He's going to provide wisdom and guidance so that you can glorify him even when it's difficult. So if you really believe that God is the king above all and you trust that he's wise, then a follower of Christ turns to the king's wisdom. And the final thing that I want to mention to you today about God is not only that God the king has a plan and that he is wise, but he's trustworthy. Samuel told all of the words of the Lord to the people. He didn't leave anything out. Even though it was uncomfortable and these warnings that he's giving them could cause further rejection, he was faithful to the Lord. He obeyed because he trusted God fully. And as followers of Christ, we must obey God. The Israelites treated following God like it was a menu that they could pick and choose what they're ordering. We want our God to look like this and this, but then we want to add our own thoughts and plans to it. And that's not how following God works. We have to see the danger in that and we have to choose to obey him fully. Why? Because God as the king is trustworthy. He is perfect in what he does. His plan is always the best plan to glorify him and to care for you and love you. He's trustworthy. Isaiah 26, 4 says, trust in the Lord forever. He's not just trustworthy in this time frame, in this little situation. He is trustworthy in all things for all time. There's no other place that I want to put my hopes and my trust there's no other person that I want to give my fears to and my complaints to than someone who knows it all, who is above all, who has all wisdom and will do it for all of eternity and he is trustworthy through all of it. Don't be like Israel, a follower of Christ, because we believe that God is trustworthy. We obey the king's command. So the question for you this morning, for all of us, do you believe those statements about God? Do you believe in the depth of your heart, like Samuel warned us last week when we focused on verse 7 or verse 3 of chapter 7, when he said, if you believe in the Lord with all your heart, then your actions are going to follow. Get rid of all of the other idols. Turn to me fully. And then the next step is Israel saying, we're not turning to you fully. We can't trust you. We want it to look this way. And our challenge here this morning 
is how many of us can relate to Israel today? How many of us are prepared right now to say, I don't want to look like that. I want to look like a follower of Christ who is humble and loving and caring and seeks all of the direction that we need for our lives from one source, the king of all kings, the king who is above all things, God Almighty. That is what a follower of Christ looks like. And I praise the Lord for his Holy Spirit who's going to convict us, who's going to teach us, and who's going to take these truths and mature us in Christ as we run this race together. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you. And I believe that we acknowledge the truth that was presented here today. We don't want to look like Israel. But Lord, the reality is, is we are pulled in so many different directions. I pray that right now, before Almighty God, as we have heard from your word and we're ready to sing from the depths of our hearts on what we believe to be true about you, that we would recognize those areas where we need more growth, more maturity, and we would trust you because you are wise, you are king, you are trustworthy. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray.